Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and miniskirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. Okay, well, this is going to be um, a little bit heavier of an episode than any of the others on this show, but I think it's important to talk about, and um, I'm going to do my best not to cry. No promises. I've actually recorded this uh, before already, and it went on way too long, and I was really emotional, so I waited um, a little bit longer to record it, and so hopefully I'm a little bit more uh, emotionally prepared for this today, but it is not an easy thing to talk about. But if you have no idea what I'm referring to, um, in case you missed it a few weeks ago, um, Matt and I shared pretty heartbreaking news. We um, lost our first baby to a miscarriage. I was pregnant and um, miscarried. And I hate that word, to be honest. But what was supposed to be a pregnancy announcement ended up being a tribute to the very precious um, and very short life that we loved so, so much. And it's been a few weeks, actually several weeks now, since we found out the news. And honestly... Um, my mama heart is still very shattered. Um, I'm still reeling in many ways. I'm still confused, longing for answers that I may never get. And it's still pretty raw and fresh for me, to be honest. So that's why I say like this isn't easy to talk about. And in some ways, I would prefer not to. It's not an easy subject and it's scary and uncomfortable to put out there. But after I simply shared just a post on social media, our email inboxes and DMs on social media exploded with stories from women walking through this at not either the exact same time or who were, you know, who had recently walked through it. And so many of them were suffering in secret and in silence. And it was crazy to me. I mean, some of them didn't even feel that they could tell their families. Like they worried that people wouldn't understand and therefore that the deep grief and pain that they experienced would be invalidated as a result of that. And others felt embarrassed, like they failed. And I resonated with these feelings. I really did. I've experienced all of these feelings and more, but I'm also a verbal processor and really saw how comforting it was to have the support of our family and friends who knew that we were pregnant before we lost the baby so that then when we did lose the baby, they were able to really be there and support and feel and grieve with us. They were there for us in our darkest hour. And honestly, like having my mom and my husband and our community is really, I think, what got me through those first couple weeks where the initial shock and the intensity of the pain is just so raw. I mean, it is still there. The pain doesn't just go away, um, but you learn over a little bit of time how to cope with it, and you find these pockets where it's not as intense and... um But in the beginning, it is just so intense. I cried for the first eight hours um, after finding out. I mean, it was just like I didn't know a pain that intense before. And so all that all that said, like, you know, although I don't think I've come out of that pain, um, 
little by little, I can see the fog clearing. And I, I don't know, I guess, you know, hearing so many stories of women who've either know someone, known someone who's walked through this or who are currently walking through this themselves rocked me. It broke my heart. It honestly angered me. Like I just got so mad that so many women have had to walk through this, especially because it's not something you hear a lot about yet. When someone says like, Hey, I've, I'm going through this. Thousands of people raise their hands and they're like, yeah, same here. Um, but it just made me so frustrated because I just feel like no mama like should ever have to walk through this, especially not alone or with any kind of shame. And this fear of invalidation or feeling of embarrassment that has led so many to suffer in silence really pushed me to break the silence when it comes to sharing my own story, to continue putting it out there, to share from the trenches, not just, you know, years after I've overcome the initial pain, but just to be like, hey, this is what I'm going through. And so I want to, before diving into this, I want to highlight why I'm choosing to share my story and how I hope that it'll help you. So I guess the first thing I want to say is, first of all, I am not sharing this story for sympathy. While your support and your prayers are so, so appreciated, I'm not putting this out there because I'm looking for attention or more sympathy. I have been, we honestly have been so held up, so supported and so loved by our family and community. And I don't feel that I need any more sympathy or, you know, attention to get through this. But part of the reason I hesitated sharing this at all is because I was afraid that it would be I didn't want this to be like a sympathy cry. You know what I mean? Um, I'm really not sharing this for myself or for me. I'm doing it for something so much bigger than me. So there's a few reasons I'm just going to share the following. The first is to honor the purpose. When I was debating on whether or not to put this out there, my husband shared his input and basically said, look, I think you should share this because maybe the sooner you share it, the sooner you'll start to see the purpose in the pain because something like this can sometimes feel like it was so, it's so purposeless. It's like, what was the point of getting pregnant? What was the point of all of this if it was going to end so quickly and so painfully, right? Um, So I was encouraged that he felt confident in the choice to share and he was so right. Just by sharing a little bit on social media, I've already seen how right he, he was. And so, like I said, I've been blown away by the number of women who've reached out sharing that they're going through the same thing and that our story has helped them cope. And as much as I would rather have my little baby growing healthy inside of me, oh my gosh, this is going to make me cry to talk about. <laughs> um, as much as I would rather have that than to be able to help any number of people, if this is part of the purpose that my child's short life was meant to serve, then speaking out about it is exactly what I'm going to do. Um Um, The second reason is that there are so few resources for women, even though it's so common. Like, yes, it's common. And in that, I've learned that no one really talks about things like what your body goes through when it happens. And you hear things, but when you actually go through it, you're like, whoa, this can sometimes be more traumatic than you were prepared for. And the third reason is really to push back against the stigma and change society's general regard for unborn children and what mamas go through when they lose a child. Like I mentioned, so many women and couples struggle in silence through this. And I think that's sometimes due to so much misinformation in society regarding when life begins and a lot of misunderstanding from people who have not gone through this and do not actually see like an actual person lost like you do when someone's friend or five-year-old child dies. When someone's baby dies in the womb, the only people who feel deeply connected to it are the ones who are close to it, who knew it exists, and even more so the mother who immediately has a deep spiritual and biological connection to that life as well as the instinct 
instinct, the immediate instinct to protect her baby at every stage, not just after that baby is born. So, you know, that's kind of a few of the reasons I want to share about it. But I also help, I also hope, sorry, I can't speak, (laughs) um, that it'll help you in one of the following ways. The first being to be able to be a better or be able to better support a friend or a sister or a daughter who might be walking through this. I know that before I walked through it, I never really understood why it hit a woman so deeply, but then I experienced it and I realized like how intense it really is and how traumatic it really is for a woman. And so, you know, instead of just writing it off as no big deal, simply because you don't see a baby, you might be able to show empathy, compassion, and support in the same way you would if that person lost another life, such as a close a close friend or a parent, by, under, by listening to this story and understanding kind of what a woman walks through. I actually read a quote that said, women are made for birth and life and death. And in the moment of miscarriage, birth and life and death come through her. And that hit me in just to the core like it is so accurate and so true it is just such a combination of of so many intense feelings and things that happen all at once and culminate all at once in a way that they don't in really any other situation I think that's why it hits a woman so deeply it's why it hit me so deeply um, I also hope this, if you aren't, you know, necessarily walking through to this with someone that's going through it, but maybe experiencing it yourself or potentially, you know, God forbid, experiencing it yourself um, in the future. I hope that this might help you cope with your own loss and feel seen, understood and supported if you have walked through it or if you ever walk through it, like I said, God forbid. So with that, I'm not exactly sure where this is going to go. I can't promise, like I said, that I will get through it without crying, but I want to dive into a quick summary of the story um, that I've recently live through and then close with a few thoughts and hopefully helpful guidelines that I've learned through the process. So here we go. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. dive into the story kind of from the beginning. Um, I feel like that'll be the best way to describe or to share a little bit about what's happened. And then, um, yeah, we'll just go from there. So I first found out that I was pregnant in the beginning of December. And at that point, I was a about five weeks along, um, I decided to take a test because I was about five or six days late and just had this feeling that I might be pregnant. I'd had it for a few days, but I just wanted to wait and see um, what my body would do before jumping to conclusions. Um, I've done that before. So I basically told myself that if I didn't start my period by the next morning, I would take a test because at that point I would have been a full week late or almost a full week late. Um, So I went to the gym that I think it was a Tuesday. And um, on my way home, I just grabbed a test and said, you know what, if I'm not starting by tomorrow morning, I'll take a test or I'll actually take it. And it was about 10 a.m. the next morning and I still hadn't started. So I was like, okay, I might as well just see, you know, find out. Um, Honestly, that was like the longest three minutes of my life waiting for that test result to show on the screen. I did the digital test and my heart was just like pounding out of my chest and I felt more nervous than I had felt before ever, like ever before speaking on stage, before running a track race back in high school. Like, you know, those moments when you just feel that anxiousness of like this big thing that's about to happen and you just get this wave of adrenaline. It was like that times a hundred. And it was this combination of adrenaline, but also potential excitement, but not trying to get too excited because you don't know and anxiousness and unknown. It was just the longest three minutes ever. Um, 
so I tried to focus on something else and started, you know, putting my makeup on and just getting ready um, for a few things I had to do later in the day. And then I looked down at the digital test on the counter and clear as day, it said yes in big letters. And I just like (gasps) gasped and covered my mouth so that I wouldn't make noise because I knew immediately that I wanted to tell Matt in a special way because we were kind of like coming up on Christmas time. We had just, you know, we're in the middle of the holiday season, like that time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I was just so pumped and I felt this lump in my throat and I wanted to jump up and down and squeal and cry and tell the whole world like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. Um, I had just never been so happy in my whole life. Like my biggest dream has been to be a mama, but my life has been so crazy the few years prior um, that we really hadn't been more intentional about trying until about, I would say like the four to six months prior to actually getting pregnant, even though it was still kind of tough. Like we weren't putting tons of pressure on ourselves, although that was definitely something we wanted Um, just because we were traveling a lot. My body was constantly on different time zones and my sleep patterns were often disrupted as a result of that. Um, So I don't know, it might sound a little woo woo, but I know that circadian rhythms are a real thing and can be really important when it comes to conceiving and mine were completely off. Um, But anyway, I wanted to tell Matt because, or I waited to tell Matt because I, I had to leave like an hour, hour and a half later for an appointment that was a little bit outside of town. So I didn't want to tell him such big news and be like, well, I have to leave for four hours now. Bye. You know, so I just played it cool as much as I could acted like nothing was out of the ordinary. I mean, at least I tried to, I kind of feel like I was so obvious, but he didn't catch on. So I played it cool, left for my appointment. And as I was driving, I just had this sweetest realization that for a brief moment in time, me and God were the only ones who knew that this little life existed. And it was just the sweetest thing. Like I just tear up like thinking about it because I just remember feeling like in that moment, I just felt so much love and like immediate protection for this little life. And like the whole world didn't even know it existed. You know, it's just so sweet. And I just touched my stomach and I just felt so much love for this little life. And I it was just so emotional. Like, I don't even know how to describe that feeling. Like they say that everything changes and you love this little life so much when it's born. And I just like need to correct that and be like, um, actually it happens like the second, you know, it exists. Like there's this like maternal instinct that just happens, you know? So I don't know. It's just crazy how quickly that happens. But Later, um, I stopped by Target to find something special to tell Matt with. And at first I went down the baby aisle and I was looking for something cute, like little shoes or a onesie or something, but I didn't really see anything that stood out to me. So I went to the cards and gift wrap section and with Christmas just being, you know, later that month, I decided it would be perfect to put together like an early, like a little early Christmas present, you know? So I found a mug that said Papa Bear on it and, um, a tiny baby stocking to put the the positive pregnancy test in. It was like the cutest little baby stocking. And then I got a red box and some tissue paper to wrap it all up. And I also bought like little Christmas tags, um, Um, And on the front side, it said Merry Christmas. And on the back side, I said, you're going to be a daddy. I wrote that on there. Um, And I tied that to the pregnancy test, put the pregnancy test with the note inside the little baby stocking and then stuffed that into the Papa Bear mug. And um, it was just so sweet. Like I just, it was the perfect little thing. Put that in the little red box. And honestly, it was so hard not to tell anyone that whole day. I was just wanting to blurt it out everywhere. I almost told the cashier at Target, but managed to stop myself because I thought it'd be kind of weird if a complete stranger knew something that they don't even care about before my own husband did. So I was like, ah, like try not to say anything. Um, But when I got home later that day, 
we ate dinner together, but I also waited to tell him then because he had one last business call of the day around like six. And so I just wanted to have it be something that we could really like revel in and celebrate and not feel like, oh, I told you this big news. Now you have to go take a call or I told you this big news and I have to leave. So I just really wanted it to be something we could spend as much time as we wanted to like talking about and dreaming about and processing and getting excited for. Um, so he finished that last call and then I asked him to come sit down in the living room because I told him like I found an early Christmas present for him while I was out and about during the day and it kind of worked because he had given me an early Christmas present in the beginning of the month like a couple days prior to that so I was like this is perfect so he sat down began to open the gift reached into the little stocking he saw the chest and he just gasped just like I did he was like are you serious you know and he stood up and he just hugged me so tight and kept saying like oh my gosh uh, it was amazing it was like literally the best day of my life and he'd been waiting for a baby for a while, or wanting a baby for a while not waiting for a baby but he had wanting he'd been wanting a baby for a while um I had too but he like I don't know I just feel like a lot of men don't express that I don't know I could be wrong but he had been saying for like a year he's like I'm ready to have a baby when you are like let's do this you know um so he was even like more ready earlier than I was even though it's always something I've wanted I just felt like the year or the months prior to going to a book launch I felt like that was a lot because I knew I had to go on a book tour and so I was like I don't really want to be in like a first trimester you know trying to travel every single day like that's just and and stand and speak and sign books for hours like kind of just want to get through that and then anytime after that like I'm good for motherhood, you know? Um, so he was ready prior to that, but given the fact that my body was the one that I had to go through or, you know, carry every carry and the whole time and whatnot, I thought, let's just get through that craziness. And then anything, anytime after that, like I feel really prepared. Um, so we would just be careful. Um, but he, it was just so sweet to see how excited he was. And, um, you know, we basically spent the rest of the night planning how we would tell our families at Christmas time. And, just reveling in the excitement of it all, wondering like, is it a boy or a girl? Like figuring out the due date, all those things. It was just so surreal for both of us. But um, yeah, so between Christmas or that day and Christmas, we spent some time researching OBs in the area, like doctors in the area, setting up initial appointments as well as some consultations so that I could get to know doctors and find the one that was the right fit. A friend of mine who's a midwife advised me to do that. And she actually said like most people spend more time researching a car than they do finding the doctor that's going to deliver their baby into the world. And don't feel like the first person you talk to or the first appointment you have is the one you have to go with or stick with throughout your entire pregnancy. Like if you don't feel comfortable or if you don't love the setup or the way it is, you're not stuck. And that was really comforting to me because I really hadn't found an OBGYN that I wanted to work with long-term. Like after we moved back to Indiana, I've got, I, gone for a couple, you know, appointments, but it wasn't like, oh, I really like this person and feel like this is who I would want to work with when I get pregnant. So once I got pregnant, I was like, oh, geez, I need to get on this. But I loved how she really encouraged me to look at my options and not feel obligated to just work with the first person I, you know, went to for the first ultrasound or anything. So I had scheduled a couple initial appointments with different doctors in the area to find out. But anyways, just a word to the wise, if you are pregnant or just found out you're pregnant or are hoping to get pregnant, like, if you don't have an established doctor or if you don't love the doctor you've worked with, you don't have to go with them. Like do some research, but, um, and interview people like really interview people. Um, but anyways, so a few weeks later, we actually celebrated an early Christmas with my family before leaving to go to Arizona because we went out to Arizona to actually spend Christmas and New Year's with Matt's family. We had never done that in our marriage. It was our fourth married Christmas. And we were like, we've never spent Christmas out there. We should probably go. Um, so a couple days, like four, four days before Christmas, four or five days before Christmas, um, we gave my parents and my brother gifts during our like little family gift exchange to announce the big news. Um, 
my parents opened a box with a onesie in it that said, guess what? And my brother received a shirt that said fungal, like fun uncle across the front. And their reactions were just so pure and so priceless. I will never, ever forget that moment as long as I live. The joy was just so like incredible, so real. Like my mom's bawling. My dad's like clapping his hands and like saying, yay. And my brother like literally goes, what? And he ran out of the room and then ran back. It was just like all of them reacted so differently. It was just so sweet. So, um, Anyways, so we celebrated that like the whole rest of the day. My mom and I dreamed all things baby. We like the joy is coming back to my mind as much as it's like heartbreaking now of how this story has ended, like living in that moment and allowing it to be what it was. It's just like the greatest thing. But anyways, um, so we just spent the rest of the day basically talking about all things baby. And then the next day we flew to Arizona and visited with Matt's parents after we landed. And we were just so eager to share the news with them too. And so we made this, we made literally made up a story about why we brought early Christmas gifts because there was no way we were going to be able to wait three more days to tell them. And so we gave them a box with the same gift that we gave my parents. We got like two of the same things and their reaction was also just so priceless and so special. And um, it was just sweet. We all celebrated and then we video called my family so that we could all kind of celebrate together. Our families are good friends, which is a really sweet gift. Um, and we started talking about details like the due date, how we found out, how far along I was and all the things that you talk about, you know? So that was just like, it, it felt like a dream. I was like, I always had this like, like unspoken dream that it'd be so sweet to tell your family or my, my family and our families that it was like that we were pregnant at Christmas time like kind of it just is like perfect to give them a gift like that um but I never really counted on it or thought that much about it because there's no way to really control too much about timing and whatnot so I just always felt like that'd be so sweet and kind of left it at that and then when it actually happened I was like this is a dream this is amazing thank you lord like it was just so so cool um but it was crazy because just a few hours after we told Matt's family and whatnot I went to the restroom and I noticed that I was spotting a little and I kind of freaked out. Um, I actually got kind of emotional about it and I think that's probably normal, but I also knew that it can be normal to spot early on in pregnancy. So I try not to, pre- to panic. I texted my midwife friend. I was like, this is going on. What do I do? And she was like, it could just be, you know, like it's, it can be normal. I would rest. And I called my mom and she gave me the same advice. So we basically just wrapped up the evening early, went back to the hotel, lay down. Um, and the spotting continued like on and off for the next day or two. But I don't know. I try not to worry because it wasn't like intense bleeding or anything. So I was like, it's probably fine. And I just tried to lay really low and let my body rest because we had traveled and whatnot. But then on Christmas Eve, um, I, we were at like a family Christmas Eve dinner and the spotting turned more into like a reddish blood and I freaked out like I was like okay this is not good and so I called Matt and I was like I called him into the back room and I was like on the verge of tears and I was like okay we need to go to the ER because I had had um the nurse practitioner to one of the practices I was thinking about working with back home I had called them on the 23rd after I think it was the 23rd the day after I started spotting and I was like, Hey, this is going on. It's nothing too intense, but I don't have any cramping or anything, but I just wanted to like ask if there's anything I should do. And she was like, if it gets more intense, I would go to the ER, you know, it could be normal, but if you notice anything like pick up or if if it gets heavier, I would go to the ER. And so once it got a little bit heavier, I was like, okay, this is not like going away. 
So we literally left our Christmas dinner early um, and went to the ER. And I was really panicked at that point. Like I was like kind of shaking, really worried. And once we got there, um, it, they checked us in pretty fast and they gave me a gown and I laid on this bed in a room. And at that point, I was just terrified. The bleeding had started to increase and I couldn't help but cry. I was just so emotional. It was so scary. I couldn't believe this was even happening, let alone on Christmas Eve. And they eventually ordered an ultrasound. And I kid you not, this like grumpy middle-aged man was the ultrasound tech on duty. And it was not exactly the dude you want doing your first ever pregnancy ultrasound, especially because at that stage it's transvaginal. So it's pretty invasive. And I'm like, so I was like, well, great. But at that point, I just wanted to know what was going on. So I just kind of sucked it up. And anyways, they started the ultrasound and on the one like on my right side he was there like the ultrasound tech was looking at the screen on my left side Matt was standing there holding my hand and pretty quickly after starting the ultrasound he pulled up the image and he showed us how to see the heartbeat like we could see the heartbeat he said 125 beats a minute which is pretty good and then I looked at Matt and I like kind of under my breath like I felt super relieved like okay baby's alive everything's okay but then I kind of started thinking out loud and I just said to Matt I was like well, then what's going on, you know? And this ultrasound tech, like I said, the last person on earth you would want doing an ultrasound during this kind of scenario or situation, he just responded with the most cold response. He's like, just so matter of fact, he goes, well, you could still be miscarrying. And my heart just sank. I'm like, well, then what was the point of even seeing that? You know, like now I'm so confused and even more worried. And oh my gosh, I just wanted to strangle the guy. He was the worst. I mean, I know people in the medical field see this kind of thing a lot and he probably wasn't super thrilled to be working on Christmas Eve. But seriously, like who does that, right? Who says that in that way to a clearly frightened first time mama in the ER, terrified as to what's going on on Christmas nonetheless, like what a jerk. I wanted Matt to just punch him in the face, but Anyways, we, we restrained ourselves from reacting to our emotions, but it was awful. So they wheeled me back to my room and a few minutes later, the doctor came in and he read the scan and, or she read the scan, sorry, and found the source of the bleeding and said that I had a subchorionic hemorrhage or some subchorionic hematoma, same thing, um, which is, she explained like basically this pocket of blood that can sometimes fool, pool, not fool, pool inside the uterus, kind of like a bruise, I guess. Um, it's basically when a small part of the embryo detaches from the original implantation site in the uterine wall, and it doesn't necessarily completely detach because then the baby wouldn't be alive. But if any part of it is disrupted a little bit, it can create this a little bit of bleeding and that blood will pool a little bit. And then the doctor went on to explain that sometimes these things can heal themselves by reabsorbing into the body or by bleeding, like kind of like if you slam your finger in the door and blood pools under your fingernail and then the doctor has to drain the blood by poking a hole in your nail. That's sometimes what's happening. Like the body's trying to heal it. And that's why sometimes you'll have bleeding in the first trimester. So after researching that, like a crazy woman, um, I later found out that they don't always lead to miscarriage. In fact, a lot of the time that they don't, um, So as terrified as I was, I tried to remain hopeful, but it was kind of sucky because she diagnosed me with a threatened miscarriage, which is like the worst Christmas present ever after all of that like super high excitement and whatnot. It was like, hey, you basically have a super high risk of miscarriage now. We're not really sure. And what's hard about these subchorionic hematoma things um, is that they're like a total mind game and there's really no direction with them. Um, There's not much you can do to heal them or there's not like a, oh, take this medication. It'll help it like dry up and everything will be good. It's basically like it could get worse or it could get better. So basically they put you on pelvic rest and sometimes light bed rest and just want you to be really like, not still, but 
low key, like not super high activity. Um, and that's what's hard. There's so little known about these things still. Like they don't really know what causes them or how to get rid of them, which, like I said, means that there's very little direction. And as a mama, you kind of feel pretty helpless and you're just kind of in this pending limbo of like you every time you go to the bathroom, you're afraid you're going to bleed every time. And then when you don't, you're like relieved. And then all of a sudden after, you know, five hours of nothing, you'll bleed again. And it's like, oh, my gosh, it just messes with your mind so much. And every single time you're like, OK, is that from the is that from the hemorrhage or is that mean something's going on wrong with the pregnancy? It's just this really weird complication. And you're immediately considered high risk. And it's just like, oh, it's just so mentally draining. I don't know how to describe it, um, but it really wore on me. And it was just, it was a really hard and very emotional Christmas. It's like, like I said, waiting in that limbo, you know? And so I spent a lot of days between Christmas Eve and pretty much the day after New Year's um, when we were in Arizona, because I didn't want to travel immediately. Like I really, I wanted to come home and like see my doctors and figure out what's going on and fix it. Um, But I also wanted to lay low and follow the advice to just not be too active. And I figured like walking through airports, like carrying luggage, going on a plane, probably didn't really fit that bill. And so I did my best to spend the next like eight to 10 days just really chilling, honestly. and I spent a lot of days in that hotel room praying and napping and journaling and drinking all the healthy juice and eating all the healthy food and worshiping and just hoping that things would be okay. And what was really interesting was that the bleeding almost completely stopped on like the 28th. It was just really light or nothing at all for about a week. Um, and so I thought I was healing. I thought, okay, good. This is slowing down. This isn't picking up. That's really good. Um, I will say I noticed on like New Year's Eve or New Year's Day that all of a sudden my pregnancy symptoms just like disappeared overnight, like at once. I remember just waking up being like, that's weird. Should that all be gone? You know? Um, But anyway, so after that whole scenario and getting the ultrasound and finding out all of this stuff um, and it will be in Indy that I had thought about working with and had actually had my first ultrasound scheduled for when we got back was able to squeeze me in a few days earlier so that we could, you know, get home, get the ultrasound, check in on baby, see what's going on, see if things have healed up. So, um, anyways, I had that, or I had that scheduled. Well, then on the way home from Arizona, it was, I think January 2nd was the day we traveled home. I just did not feel good. I had a horrible headache all night long before we left and it just lingered throughout the day. Um, and I've since learned that that could be due to just a sharp decrease in HCG. Like if that's the day that we lost the baby, um, it could be due to that and other hormones just kind of trying to figure themselves out. But at the time I felt like maybe I'm just dehydrated. I might just be tired. I didn't sleep very well. And that could be it too. Like there's no way of fully knowing. Chapter one, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The Game Changer, upgrading to high-quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. 
Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, a luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like these are incredible. <laughs> Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Anyway, so when we got home from Arizona, um, I went... We went straight to the ultrasound and I remember asking Matt, like, do you think baby will be okay? Because I just needed reassurance. And he confidently responded, yes. He's like, yeah, that's going to be great. Um, we came, we began to talk about um, how we were going to tell some of our friends who didn't know yet, like later that night, once we had ultrasound pictures to share, because we had one from the ER, but it was just digital. And like, it wasn't something they printed out for us. Like we had to print that out if we wanted it, um, which we would have done, I guess, but we were like, well, once we have like this confirmation that everything's okay, like we were believing with every fiber in our being um, that, you know, hematoma would be healed, especially because the bleeding was pretty much like gone and or was gone for several days. And because, um, you know, just that's what you want to believe. Right. And that's what you hope for. And we try not to think the worst. Although throughout the week, I kept having like these visions of like, I don't know if it was God just preparing me or if it was my fear overthinking or maybe a combination of both. But I just kept having these thoughts of like, this isn't going to work out. Like, I don't know why. And 
it was weird. I don't know if it's like a motherly intuition or what, but I kept trying to dismiss that thought because I didn't want to think that way. And that's why I kept asking that, like, do you think things are going to be okay? Like I wanted that reassurance, you know? Um, but anyways, so we waited for a little bit in the waiting room once we got there and then we were shown into the exam room where the ultrasound would happen. And a few minutes later, the tech came in and began the ultrasound and Matt stood next to me just like the first time and held my hand. And as I waited for her to kind of get the screen up and going and look over everything, I just looked up at the ceiling and I just started begging God in my head over and over. I just said, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. Um, And then another probably two or three minutes passed and she still didn't say anything. And that started to stress me out a little bit. She measured the size of the gestational sac and it was measuring as if it had grown from when I had the ultrasound on Christmas Eve, but it was smaller than the dates based on my cycle. That was kind of weird. It's like based off of how far along my like actual dates were, the ultrasound was always showing like that it was a week behind that in size. And that can be common, especially if you have longer cycles, I learned, but my cycles tend to be on the shorter side. Um, so that's where I was like, I think the baby's actually measuring small, but anyways, so, um, then, you know, I just started to feel like something wasn't right. And Matt and her were both just like looking at the screen so intently. And she said she was going to get the doctor. And that's when I was like, Oh no. And, um, she basically said like I don't see anything there's no heartbeat and every time I think about that it makes me so sad and um I just immediately started sobbing and and squeezed Matt's hand so hard to prevent myself from screaming and saying every awful cuss word in the book because I was like angry and like oh my gosh I just didn't even know what to do and I was like still laying on the table at that point, just sad. Like this is probably TMI, but bleeding all over because I hadn't bled in a week. And then that ultrasound, like it just triggered whatever was probably bound to happen anyway. And it was so humiliating. Like not only did I feel humiliated and, you know, confused and shocked, but I just felt like I'd been punched in the gut and shot in the heart, you know, like pride, ego, any dignity just stripped. I mean, any hope for everything, the joy that we had experienced just felt like it was pointless. I mean, all of a sudden it just such a combination of so many emotions, so intense, so intense. And then started having this physical pain almost immediately. And the doctor came in and confirmed what the tech had said on the screen that she had seen on the screen. And she expressed her condolences. And then she basically began to explain my three equally horrible options that I now had either pass the baby naturally, take medicine to speed up that process or schedule a surgery to get a DNC. Um, and I honestly didn't know how to make a rational decision about how to remove my now dead baby from my body. Like that is awful to think about. Like when you think like that, you're like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know how to make this decision. Like this baby's supposed to be alive and breathing or and, and heart beating, not breathing yet, but you know, all those thoughts and you're like, this can't be happening. And I just wanted nothing more than to hold on to this little life. And now my only option was literally to have this little love like ripped away from me, literally, because that's basically what happens. And so then she explained to me that the hematoma or that hemorrhage, that subchorionic had grown and she showed me on the screen, which made me so mad. I was so mad at God. I was like, seriously, I was convinced this this was healing. We had an army of people praying for healing for it. And what was the point of all that? You know, you just get, it's like anger just flares up and pain flares up. And with all that blood in there, she basically told me that the walls of my uterus were like an avalanche and the gestational sac that was keeping my baby alive couldn't stay implanted. The, the placenta couldn't stay implanted. Um, 
Of course, they don't necessarily know for sure if that was the exact cause of the loss, though it would stand to reason that it definitely contributed to it. Um, and I just got so upset. I immediately felt like my body had failed my baby. Like my first instinct and job is to protect my child. And I felt like my own body couldn't do that. And I think I, you know, I don't know. I just, I couldn't breathe. Like I couldn't process anything. And I think the doctor picked up on how upset I was and, you know, they, they offered to step out of the room so we could have a minute together. And so I don't even think they had fully closed the door yet when I just let out like the loudest, like guttural wail that I had ever let out. I mean, I got up off the table, blood's dripping everywhere. It's like a crime scene. I just collapsed on this floor sobbing. And Matt just held me and over and over again. He was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then I started to say I was sorry. I felt like I had failed myself, like I'd failed him, like I'd failed our families. They were so looking forward to it. And like I'd failed our baby. I felt anger. I felt shame. I felt confusion and brokenness and embarrassment and like despair, like simultaneously in just such an intense moment. The feeling was just so deep and so strong. I had, I couldn't even physically stand up. I mean, Matt had to literally lift me and... I just never expected something like this to cut as deeply and as sharply as it did. Honestly, I never really understood how big of a deal it was until that moment. And in that moment, I felt the gravity of this kind of thing and the deep knife cutting into my heart while facing the reality that I couldn't have my baby back, that I'd have to face this and essentially give birth without having anything to show for it. Like that cut in such a way I never anticipated before. But Eventually, Matt helped me to my feet, and I just wanted to get out of there. I was like, I don't ever want to come here again. This is the worst place in the world. Get me out of here. And we grabbed our things, and we headed out the door. And as we left, the doctor passed us a card with her cell phone number, which at the time, I was kind of like, that's not going to bring my baby back. You know, like everything seems completely empty at that point. But now I realize how much of a big deal that was. Um, Most doctors don't do that. And we were able to like text her with questions and whatnot. So I was like, okay, this girl's amazing. But um, as we drove home, I just continued to cry. But it wasn't even like a like a tearful cry. It was like a deep guttural moan. Like I was just like wailing and like longing for my baby. And then I also noticed this sharp pain in my lower abdominals, probably because the the ultrasound kind of kick-started the process that was pretty much bound to happen and I thought oh my gosh like it's starting it's happening and um it was just so crazy to me because literally less than an hour earlier I was feeling so hopeful I hadn't had any bleeding for several days I was talking with Matt and dreaming with him about how we would share the ultrasound pictures with friends over a video call that night like that was our reality less than 60 minutes prior. And now while driving home on, uh, on what was like a dreary and foggy and depressing day as it was, having been told literally the worst news of my life, I realized that wasn't going to happen, that we weren't going to tell our friends that way. And I could already feel my body preparing to release my little one before it was ever supposed to happen. I mean, talk about a 180 degree turn in less than 60 minutes time. I mean, my, my emotions and my brain couldn't even like process all that or keep up. And as we pulled into our driveway, I texted my mom to tell her what happened and I just said, I lost my baby. I can't talk because I couldn't talk. I could hardly see through my tears and could hardly like think through the pain and the anger. And um, she lives about two hours away from us and immediately she just texts me back and she's like, I'm coming down. 
And I had to like crawl my way up the stairs to our bedroom and lay down because I had this like deep, sharp pain. Um, and I had also started, um, I had gotten a progesterone shot earlier that morning. Um, it was like a bioidentical treatment, like progesterone treatment. Cause I thought perhaps it could be a progest, like progesterone can help with this kind of thing. It was with a different doctor and I had gotten that, but we hadn't done the ultrasound yet. So we didn't know that that would end up being pointless. Um, but if you get a progesterone shot, they give it to you in your glute and then it creates like a really intense, like soreness on that side of your body, like your hip bone, your lower back, your glute muscle, like it all hurts. So it's hard to kind of like walk upstairs or even really walk for a day or two. It's like, I don't know, it's just, it creates a lot of aching. And so that started to kick in too simultaneously. And then I was angry because I was like, well, that was pointless. And now I have even more pain than I already have. Oh, it was so dramatic. But anyways, um, so I lay down on the bed and Matt lay down with me and we just held each other and we cried and cried and cried and at random moments I would just scream out or yell like why like what the heck god what the heck you know and eventually he played this song um it's called though you slay me and as we laid there crying together and listening to this part of me was comforted by it and part of me was honestly kind of annoyed by it I wanted to believe it but I felt so angry and confused at God like he had ignored my my pleas and my prayers the weeks prior that it just seemed empty and I just felt I just wasn't in a place to really like embrace that you know um eventually my family arrived my brother came with my mom and my mom ended up coming up to my room and she lay down with me for a little while and just cried with me And she kept telling me it wasn't my fault, but at the time I really didn't know if I believed her. It just felt so much like it was. And I was just in so much shock. I was, yeah. So anyways, I'm really thankful. Um, They just spent the weekend with us. They helped clean up around the house. They went to the grocery store to get food. They helped unpack our bags because we had just gotten home from a trip. Like we hadn't even gotten back settled in, you know, done any laundry. And I felt like our life was just crumbling. It was like the future we had hoped for, the future we had prayed for and waited for was avalanching in on us. And the only option was to accept defeat, even though my gut reaction was to angrily fight it. And so, I don't know, it seemed like my body was already starting the natural process though. And so I really wanted to have a little bit more control over everything too, because I felt that it was really important for Matt and I to get to experience and have a burial ceremony together. Um, so we opted to see how the natural process would unfold before scheduling a DNC. It ended up going on longer than I anticipated, but we chose that because when, like, I knew that if I had surgery, I didn't know how much control I would have over what I wanted to do with the remains. And that was really important to me. It sounds really weird. Um, but if you think about it, like when a family member dies, part of the closure and experience that we have with that is going through some sort of service or memorial or a burial ceremony. And when you miscarry, you don't always get that. And so to me, I thought I was trying to think as proactively as I could. And I was like, that's important to me. I need that for closure. So I want to see if I can, you know, at least out of all of this, like have something like that. And so um, from a physical standpoint, I don't want to get too graphic. But since I felt so unprepared for how this goes, I just think um, like I want to share a little bit on the experience in hopes that it can help. those who may be either supporting, you know, supporting someone walking through this, understand really what their friend or sister or daughter is experiencing, as well as anyone who might be walking through this and experiencing some anxiety or confusion around it or worrying if it's normal. I don't know what's normal and what's not. I'm not a doctor, but you know, for some who miscarry naturally, the process can come on strong and fast and last a couple of hours and then subside once the uterus has basically been emptied. Um, from stories I've heard, this seems to be more common with a very early miscarriage. Um, but everyone I've talked to that experienced this, um, that were, you know, about seven to eight weeks along or more, um, 
basically compared it to almost like a mini birth process. Like you can have labor like contractions. You're not just, you know, you're passing substance. It's not just, I don't know. It's just people don't really, I just didn't feel prepared for that. And anyone that I've talked to that, you know, has gone through it, especially after about the seven to eight week mark, which is, I think I was, I will like actually miscarried around eight and a half, eight and a half to nine weeks. Um, in the pro- like in the time of the process that it was happening um so you know anyways um it can take up to two weeks for the process to complete which I wasn't prepared for and I thought like it would happen come on strong for a few hours and then the worst it would be over and then you know over time the bleeding would subside but I actually had a very different experience I actually had three episodes uh, and episodes basically meaning like it would come on really strong, like really bad cramping, intense cramping, um, and kind of like a passing process. And, you know, when you go through a miscarriage, you have to think about everything that's actually inside. Like there's a gestational sac with the fetus inside. There's a placenta, there's uterine lining. There's a lot of, like your body built a lot in eight weeks. And I was, did not realize that because everything in society tells you like, oh, it's so small. Oh, it's, you can hardly even see it. Oh, it's, you know, just a little tissue. Like it's just a clump of cells. And, until you are like, oh my gosh, look at what my body built. It's like kind of traumatizing, but also kind of like amazing and mind blowing at the same time. And it makes sense why it can be so painful. Um, but I say three episodes because I didn't experience this all at once. And I later learned that a lot of women don't experience it all at once. But the first episode I had was on a Friday night. That was after the ultrasound. A few hours later, I had a lot of intense cramping, um, an intense kind of passing, if you will. And then it's kind of subsided. And I thought, okay, that was probably the worst of it. Like now it's just like a healing process. Nope. Three days later, had an even more intense episode. Um, that was, I'm not going to go into the graphic details. If you need to know more about that, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and then the last most intense episode, like I thought after Friday or after that Monday night, I was like, okay, that has to be it. Like that has to be. And then a few days later, the following Friday, I actually had the most intense episode with the most intense contraction like pain um, that went on the longest. And that was really probably the most intense passing process as well. But then after that was over, things did seem to calm down. I had a little bit more cramping um, the following Monday. It was literally like Friday, Monday, Friday, Monday. So it was like three episodes plus a little bit on a Monday um, prior or you know after that. But then after that, things started to pretty much calm down and, and subside. But each one of those was pretty traumatic and pretty painful. Um, and I started to wonder, like, when is this going to end? Like, I thought we were through this after the first one or after the second one. Um, so I started to wonder if, like, I was overthinking the fact that this felt like labor contractions. You kind of sometimes will even have an urge to push, which, sorry if that's graphic, but I was not prepared for that. And since I've not yet had the blessing of carrying a baby to full term, I was like, well, maybe I'm overthinking that this is anything like birth. You know, I don't know. And then a friend told me, a friend who had actually miscarried her third baby. So she had had two full-term pregnancies given birth. um, But then she miscarried her third about a month and a half prior to when I was miscarrying. And um, she was about the same Like she was about as far along as I was when she lost the baby as well. So it was very comparable, but yet she had had the experiences of giving birth twice. And so she compared it to pregnant or to labor-like contractions. She's like, I didn't anticipate that it would be so comparable to birth. And that was like, 
whoa, okay, I felt a little bit less crazy for thinking that. And like I said, I mean, building a baby and birthing that baby at whatever stage is a lot on the body and it's a lot on the heart. And in this case, hormones are all over the all over the place. Grief adds stress and therefore increases cortisol levels. Physically, your body is trying to heal, but also kind of confused if anything is left in your uterus. Like it can take a while for your HCG and like hormone levels to be like, oh, we're not pregnant anymore because there's still lining in there. There's like, it can take a while. And so I guess the best way to say it, like if anything is left after a baby's heart has stopped, sometimes the body is trying to figure out like, um, are we still pregnant here and can hold on to those hormones and not necessarily drop them at the rate that they technically should be. And mine actually got stuck at about 17,000 for a few days, which is pretty high. And at that point, um, we all thought that I was through the worst of it. And so when my blood level or my HCG levels didn't decrease, that was both alarming and confusing to both myself and my doctor. But, um, Anyways, those tests were done shortly before the last and most intense episode that I had um, that I mentioned a minute ago. And once that happened, things really did start to decrease. I had a follow-up blood test a week after that intense last episode and they had decreased all the way down to 165. So after going through what I went through on Friday night, which was honestly the worst of it after thinking I'd already gone through the worst of it twice, it was kind of like, oh, well, that makes sense as to why, like, why my blood levels didn't go down. Like my body was still holding on to a lot. Um... But anyways, um, I had an ultrasound scheduled for the following Tuesday after that episode to check on how things were healing up and determine whether or not I would need surgery to remove anything, to remove uterine lining if it was too thick so I wouldn't get an infection, all of that. And I really prayed against that. I mean, after 10 or more days of enduring the physical process, in addition to the eight to nine days prior to that with kind of battling that complication of the subchorionic hematoma, I would have just been so upset if it all would have ended in a surgery anyway. Like it would have made all those 10 days of pain and effort and going through it naturally feel kind of like a wasted effort, I guess. Um, Which that's probably just dramatic thinking, but that's how it felt at the time. But I had to go back to the same room that I had found out the news about 10 days earlier and I really dreaded it. I was like, "Uh, I don't want to go there. It's like PTSD or something. You know, I don't know if that's dramatic, but it really was not something I wanted to do. And they actually offered for me to go to a nearby hospital for the ultrasound instead. But I wanted to, I just was like, I just want to face my fear with this and not let a location scare me. Like that's not going to make the bad any less bad. That's not going to remove the fact that there was a traumatic experience and I don't want to be unwilling to just face this stuff head on as much as it sucked. So I figured the simplest thing to do would be to just face it and allow the same doctor to perform the ultrasound so that I had answers and clarity as soon as possible. Because if you go through something at a different location with a different doctor who doesn't know your history, who didn't do the first one, you know, it can just take a longer time. And I just wanted to know. So thankfully, the ultrasound showed that my uterus was healing up properly and that I wouldn't need surgery. And honestly, like I nearly burst into tears as I looked at the screen because I felt both relief, you know, because at that point, that was the best news that we could have gotten, you know, not having to have surgery or any other intervention. But I also felt this new wave of grief or finality because actually seeing my uterus empty when just a few weeks prior, I had seen my baby's heartbeat beating strong inside. Um, It crushed me in like a whole new way that I wasn't prepared for. So I guess there's just this part of you that holds on to for some little miracle, you know, you're like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. But in spite of all that you've seen and heard and experienced, there's just this part of you that holds on to some hope for a miracle. And then seeing yourself truly empty kind of seals the deal and just makes it so final, you know, like so final and so sad. Um, So it was a really strange mix of emotions all over again, but I just held my tears until we left and, um, processed it later. Um, 
my bleeding had slowed down a lot after that, like I said, and my overall HCG numbers were going down. And so, you know, that was good to kind of know that I was getting closer to baseline. But it, again, like also when, even though that's like supposed to happen, it still feels a little bit bittersweet because it's like, okay, thank God my body's like healing up, but shoot, like I hate that my body's healing from losing my baby. You know, it just like, it continues to remind you, like every time you get a blood test, it's just like another reminder of what you don't want to have to believe is true. Every time you have to get an ultrasound or anything, it just is a consistent, like ripping open the wound, you know? Um, but I share this story because one thing I found out is that so many people, both family members and friends, some of whom are familiar with this experience, others who are not, were surprised by how long the process really took for me. Like they thought like, oh, you found this hard news, you know, it's a day or two. And then like, now you're like on the road to recovery. And like, you know, you're obviously still grieving, but it's kind of like when you find out you lose someone, that intense wave of pain is so intense in the beginning, but then you like, it's a moment of finality. You have to accept that and you start heat like, grieving and mourning and also like that's part of the healing process moving forward but with with something like this when it when the physical part of it is so drawn out and just seems to like never end it's like a constant reminder it's like a constant it doesn't allow you to have a moment of finality if that makes sense so anyways as the physical process drags on it's just not only hard on your body but it messes with your mind it makes it difficult to have any kind of closure i guess is the better way to say it there's all these stages you can walk through or someone can walk through like the initial shocking news from an ultrasound where you see uh, where well, you still see a baby inside, but then they tell you like, oh, things aren't good. And then sometimes multiple episodes of bleeding and passing, you know, literally your baby um, and everything that went into building that baby and having sharp pains and just like these, sometimes you'll have multiple episodes or ongoing bleeding over the course of several days or weeks, sometimes on or off. So you don't know what's going on or a later and then an ultra, you know, an ultrasound later showing y- your uterus empty. Um then subsequent blood tests that go on for anywhere from a few days to a few weeks as your hormones slowly inch back to zero when they were supposed to be going up. You know, there's just, you slowly watch like this little bloating you had, you know, or this tiny bump you had or whatever, just de- like going back flat. And um, there's just no clean break with it. You know, the process can drag on for hours or days or weeks. And every day you walk through and every appointment you show up for and every test you have done, you feel like you're like you have less and less of your baby that is supposed to be growing inside of you. And it is just such a difficult process to walk through and to grieve through. Anyways, the last thing I want to share is that Matt and I named our baby Noelle Isaiah. Um, Noelle means Christmas, and we chose to share chose this name because the only time we saw our baby alive was on Christmas, and I think Christmas is a sign of hope, even though this past Christmas was felt so hopeless and so hard. Um, and Isaiah means my strength is Yahweh, and honestly, that's more for us. Like we have been trying to just cling to God's strength as much as I've wrestled with that because we have been very weak um, in the process of all of this. But we held this burial ceremony between two rows of evergreens in our backyard once the process was complete. We hung lights. We lit candles. Matt played his guitar. Um, We just made it really sacred and beautiful as it should be. And I painted a little white box where we put the remains and I stamped the verse, I am fearfully and wonderfully made on top. And Matt played his guitar and we both said a few words through our tears and just held each other and buried our baby and I remember walking away from that thinking like what young parents should have like no young parents should have to bury their child you know it just no parents should but it was just like I can't believe this is my life like my first time experience with pregnancy feels so traumatic you know and it it creates a lot of fear and it creates a lot of confusion but I don't know that was just easily the hardest thing I've ever had to do placing my first baby into the ground when I knew that this baby was supposed to be growing safely inside of me 
I don't know, the best way I can describe it is that it was beautifully difficult. Like the hardest thing I've ever done and the most sanctifying thing I've ever done all at one time. Um, kind of like I shared the hard thing with miscarriage is that unlike other losses, there's not really a clear moment of finality or closure. And sometimes there's multiple moments of it as the process continues. Sometimes it seems like there are really none at all. So it was really important for me to honor in this life and treat this loss as I would any other loss. Unfortunately, I think society at large doesn't always recognize this as important. And my hope is that by sharing this story, it'll begin to shift the narrative regarding how we ought to honor life, all life from the moment it begins, not just from the moment that it's born. Um, A few weird feelings that have come up through grief is, um, I'll just be honest about this, like resentment or comparison toward moms, Um, moms who either haven't gone through this or who have like seemingly perfect pregnancies and beautiful little babies. It's not their fault, but it was really hard for me to see that stuff honestly it still is but I realized like it's my responsibility to be wise and guard my eyes from things that cause me to envy or compare or feel anger or even despair and I think that feeling is temporary but the idea of being around a baby is already a, and, and, like it was so painful I guess is what I'm trying to say like the idea of seeing a baby being around babies like it just made me so upset um slowly I think that feeling is starting to lighten a little bit although it's definitely still there and it takes time and I think that's okay so you know if you're a mama with a new baby or with a little one and your best friend or your sister just miscarried don't feel like you have to hide your child or your joy but just be sensitive to the fact that it may be hard on her and if you're gonna go visit her like ask what she's most comfortable with support her decisions if she needs to get off social media or even unfollow you for a short season I've had to mute many accounts that I love following because it was just such a deep reminder of what I had lost even if I I was happy for them. And so in, as an attempt to not feel bitterness toward people that I loved or, you know, brands that, you know, motherhood brands that I loved, I just thought, you know, it's better for me to just not see this for a while, not because I'm not happy for them, but because I want to not experience any bitterness toward them that they don't deserve. And so, you know, don't take it personally if someone in your life is going through this and has to unfollow you or even take a break from spending time with you. She loves you. And if she makes this choice, it's probably so that bitterness doesn't build up in her heart. Okay. So that's really important. The second thing I'll say is I've experienced a little bit of resentment toward my body. I wrote about this on my Instagram a couple weeks after the loss, but something that I've experienced is almost like being a stranger to my own body. It's like, I feel like your womanhood or like your femininity is like damaged. I don't know how to describe it, but at first I was angry and I felt like my body had betrayed me and betrayed my baby. Um, And one of the first thoughts that I had after losing the baby was I failed. I mean, I truly, truly believe that. And I looked in the mirror and just felt resentful. And I felt physically weaker than I had in as long as I can remember and said crazy things about hating my body and being mad at my body and how my body wasn't worthy or good enough. And I would compare my body to moms who seemingly had perfect pregnancies and wondered why my body couldn't do it right, you know, and it's, it's just weird to watch your body change and then slowly unchange. And it's crazy how I used to worry about gaining pregnancy weight and now how gaining pregnancy weight sounds like the greatest and most beautiful thing in the world. So perspective shift there for anyone who's, you know, worried about becoming pregnant or not sure if, you know, they'll feel beautiful when they're pregnant. Just take this as a perspective. Um, If you are pregnant and you're having body image insecurities with that, just know that there are women out there who would take any, who would give anything to gain 25 pounds or feel insecure about their body to have a little life growing healthy inside of them because you can always get back like you can always get your body back meaning like you can always get back into the shape you were prior to pregnancy when you have a long-term healthy you know full-term healthy pregnancy you can't get your baby back as you know when you go through something like this so hopefully that's not it's not to be like invalidating of any insecurities you might experience but I hope this just offers some perspective and encouragement um 
But anyways, Matt has been so patient and affirming through this deep insecurity. He's hugged me every day and kissed me every day and tell me I'm beautiful and he'll tell me I'm strong. And I'm really not sure I believe him yet, but I am thankful for him. And I'm just trying to be gentle with myself. It's up and down. Uh, But I think it's normal to feel this way. I've talked to a lot of mamas who have said they feel this way. So I guess the best thing I can say is if you, you know, maybe you can relate to this or have a similar feeling, even if you haven't gone through this exact same experience. But little by little, I am trying to believe that I'm more than a one in four statistic and to see the whole picture because I'm trying to remember that, you know, one half of the story is that, you know, this was a miscarriage and that my body miscarried. And I know that it can be due to chromosomal things and things that have nothing to do with my body. I'm actually um, pursuing some clarity on that as much as I can. Um, But regardless, like, the point is, this isn't just a body that miscarried. It's also the body that made me a mama. And if you've ever found yourself in my shoes, I believe the exact same thing is true for you. Like, we need to try to see the full picture, not just half the picture. So, um, the last thing I will say is when it comes to just weird feelings or fears that have come up is that I have this like conflicting desire where a part of me is wanting to get pregnant again as soon as humanly possible. And I'm also afraid to ever get pregnant again, if that makes sense. Like this is a legit thing. There's one half of me that was already in baby mode and so ready to hold my little one in my arms. So after losing the baby, I just wanted to try to get pregnant again as soon as possible. Um, But the other half of me is terrified because the fear that I might have to suffer through something like this again and the risk that it could go wrong. I mean, I almost feel like I would just expect something to go wrong. And I don't want to think like that, you know? So although many times miscarriages, like I said, are caused by chromosomal things rather than hormone imbalances or anything going on in the mother's body, the subchorionic hematoma raised some red flags for me because those only occur in a very small amount of pregnancies that it could be a signal of something going on with the strength of my uterine lining, like things like that. So additionally, I have this hunch, this intuition that the SCH really did contribute or even caused my miscarriage um, because of how my OB explained that my uterus walls were like an avalanche, right? I'm like, I wonder if that had anything to do with progesterone levels, um, something hormonal. You know, I just, I want to dig into that and find out because that was a kind of a rare complication. Um, it, it's common if you've gone through like IVF or something, but we didn't. So there was parts of me, or if you've fallen, like slipped and fallen in the winter, sometimes it can cause that. But because I didn't have anything like that, I was like, you know, I just want to dig into seeing if there's anything that I could do to prevent something like that in the future. Um, If there's not, then there's not, but I'd rather know. So I guess that leads me into my last point of our next steps going forward. Um, I'm pursuing some sort of counseling to heal emotionally and have some coping mechanisms to deal with triggers so I can actually live a normal life and go out to eat without being upset at the woman across the restaurant holding her beautiful baby because it's not her fault. Um, I'm not really sure what that looks like. I, I that That's something I'm opening my mind to and trying some trying some things out, meeting some people, seeing if I find a good fit. The second thing is slowly easing back into life, work, working out, you know, small steps at a time. And the third third thing physically is that I am looking into testing to better understand not only, you know, what may have gone on with the miscarriage, but even prior to that, the SCH or the subchorionic hematoma cause. Generally, women aren't advised to pursue testing. And a lot of times insurance won't cover any kind of testing until someone has suffered through this three times, which to me is like, no way. Um, that's just absolute baloney. So we're going to pay out of pocket personally and see if I can find any answers so that I can at least know how to be a little bit more proactive the next time around um, to be a little bit more aware. I'd like to at least rule out some things that it definitely wasn't so that I can maybe focus on a couple things that it was. You know, I had a consultation with a um, functional medicine doctor recently and he brought up this chart and he explained to me all the causes of miscarriage. And I think there were like 12 or 13 on there. And he said, one of which is chromosomal issues. It's a common one, you know, but it made me feel so heard and understood and, and, and 
advocated for because he was like, you know, yes, this is a, a large cause of it, but a lot of our culture and society and even a lot of the medical community at large will just say like, oh, it's likely chromosomal. There was probably something wrong with the baby and your body was taking care of it. He's like, but I understand why women want to seek answers because there's also many, many cases of where the baby, there was nothing wrong with the baby. There was something that your body couldn't sustain the pregnancy. So it's worth finding that out before having to like, you know, can be confused the whole time for the next several, you know, experiences. So, and fearful the rest of the time, it, it just gives you, um, some sort of, you, you don't want to be a control freak about things. There's only, I mean, my mom, it, she made a really good point and she said it really well. She said, you know, information can be helpful, but God is bigger than information. And I think that's so true and such a good reminder. So I'm trying to keep that perspective of like, I want to find the information that I can knowing that ultimately it's not in my control, but if there's anything I can do to be a little bit proactive, you better believe I'm going to do that. Like my mama bear heart is like, (laughs) I will do anything to protect my baby. So that's kind of what life looks like now and where I'm at now. Um, I do want to share in closing a quote that really encouraged me. Um, a friend passed it on to me. She had recently suffered through something like this several, uh, several months ago, almost about a year ago now. And she read this quote in a blog post and said that it really, really um, blessed her. And so anyway, she she texted it to me and I want to read it. And if it's something that blesses you, awesome. If it's something that might encourage um, someone that you know that's walking through this, feel free to pass it on to them. Um, But the quote is by uh, Cecilia Rose Liesmeyer. And it says, you see, the child lives. Instead of the wind, he hears the sound of angels singing before my throne. Instead of the beauty that passes, he sees the everlasting beauty. He sees my face. He was created and lived a short time so that the image of his parents imprint, so the image of his parents imprinted on his face may stand before me as their personal intercessor. He knows secrets of heaven unknown to men on earth. He laughs with a special joy that only the innocent possess. My ways are not the ways of man. I create for my kingdom, and each creature fills a place in that kingdom that could not be filled by another. He was created for my joy and his parents' merits. He has never seen pain or sin. He has never felt hunger or pain. I breathed a soul into a seed, made it grow, and called it forth. I love that quote. Um, I just, it just, it just broke me and encouraged me all at once. So I want to close there. I could ramble for hours, but I pray that this has been insightful for you, hopefully encouraging for you. And um, yeah, just thank you for listening to our story. And if you know anyone who's walked through this, um, or who's currently walking through this and could use someone who understands or just might be encouraged or um, feel, feel supported by this, feel free to pass it on, feel free to share it. And um, yeah, thank you. I hope that this was helpful and hopeful for you at the same time. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. 
Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.